All right, so if you're turning with us, you can go to John chapter 12, instead of John chapter 9, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Hunter, how are we doing? Ooh, I see it. You're so smart. There it is. Woo! A hand for Hunter, yeah? All right, here we are. We're just going to read through this text. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So then uh, 16 through 19. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that uh, they had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. All right, so we'll, we'll just set this scene. Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem, and he's there to observe the, the feast of the Passover. He's going to do this with his disciples and with the other people that are in the city. It's a big deal. I mean, all of the, the Jews from the region, as many as were able, would, would descend on Jerusalem to have this uh, feast and remember the work that God had done in, the, in Egypt with the children of God before they had been taken out of Pharaoh's hand and they wandered in the desert for 40 years and then God led them into the promised land, right? There was this occasion as, as God was revealing signs to Pharaoh, trying to, to, to move Pharaoh's heart to let his people go. Remember, we had things like the plague, um, the rivers turning to blood, uh, locusts, things like that. And then there was this event that happened where God said, the firstborn male of every creature will be struck dead when the angel of death passes over Egypt. But to those who will take and mark their doorposts with blood of a lamb, the, the angel of death will pass over and they'll be spared. And so this is the feast that they're celebrating. And, and by the way, that event in Egypt is a, what we call a foreshadowing. It's a foretelling of the work of Jesus that I spoke about earlier when I was praying about his sacrifice for us. This is why the Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Because ultimately it's his blood that then as we receive him, as we become followers of Christ, it's sort of like, sort of like we're marked with his blood, with his sacrifice. And so then... The Bible teaches us that the angel of death for eternity, we, might, we will die in this life, but we'll live in eternity with him, with God, because of the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. So this event that happened back in Egypt thousands of years before even this story happens is a foretelling of that. It's a foreshadowing of that. It gives us an idea of, of what that looks like. And so Jesus is going with many, many other people and his disciples to celebrate and to remember this event and God's provision for the people. And because it, is, it was a, a, a herald, a foretelling of the Messiah. 
And so they're all gathering. And it tells us right there in that first verse of this passage, verse 12, it says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And then it tells us a little bit uh, lower. It says that the reason the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. This was the reason they were really, uh, like, interested to see him. It was kind of like, uh, it's like a celebrity, right? The word had traveled. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks about, like, last week we talked about the feeding of the 5,000 men, but probably that when Jesus took these few loaves and these few fish and he blessed them, that he was feeding a crowd of somewhere 15 to 20,000 people with just uh, one kid's lunch. And he performed that miracle. And so those kinds of, that word had spread, right? And then uh, just a few chapters before this, uh, chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who's blind from birth. That word had spread. He had healed people of, of being paralyzed from, from birth or for at least three decades. We heard this from Jason a couple of weeks ago. For, for 30 years, this man had lain by the pool where there, there was a belief that if the angel stirred the water and you could get into the pool, you could be healed. Jesus healed him with a word, said, take up your bed and walk. Jesus' fame had spread. And then, and we're going to talk about this actually on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Lazarus and what it means to us today as believers and what it tells us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's like, all right, so we think, so he heals the deaf, he heals the blind, he makes people walk again, he feeds 15,000 people, he raises a guy from the dead. And his fame is huge. People want to see, who is this guy? Who is this person who is doing these great works? And so the crowd had gathered as Jesus began to come into Jerusalem and to paint that scene there. Uh, I, we're talking 20,000 people he fed with loaves and fishes, right? Multiply that number. The city of Jerusalem, which was... I mean, it was kind of the, the commerce hub. It was the place where all the business happened. It was kind of the seat of government in the region. Uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. It's a huge crowd. I mean, it's a lot of people. We kind of, I think, I don't know about you, but I tend to, when I picture these things in my mind, I, 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 I kind of dance around with, I guess, minimizing things. and think, wow, big crowd, you know, 5,000 people, 10,000 people. But there were just... Not far from here, within walking distance, there were 20,000 people that he fed lunch to just a few weeks ago. And what we see in the course of Jesus' ministry is that as he's going and as he's revealing who he is and the power that he has because he's God in the flesh, his notoriety grows. The message spreads. Who is this guy? And people want to know. They want to see. And so that happens here, and now we're talking about exponentially now. The crowd has increased, not just because Jesus is there, but because they've all dutifully come to see and to partake in the feast. But now they hear that Jesus has arrived. And the picture that we get there is that they've, they're lining the streets. Uh, think of the, the huge rally that just happened yesterday in Washington, D.C., Right? The entire national mall filled with people voicing their concerns, voicing their opinions, right? Uh, 
Uh, we can go back to the days of Martin Luther King. Uh, his incredible speech, his I have a dream speech from the steps there near the Capitol and, and the place just filled with people. It's like that. As far as the eye can see, there's the bustle of this crowd. And they've now begun to put their attention, to point their eyes and their voices towards Jesus. And they're lining the streets and they're, they're climbing the palm trees and pulling down palm branches. Snapping them off and throwing them down in the road to make a carpet for this donkey that Jesus is riding on to enter the city. And as he is, they're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the king! Probably lots of other great words coming out of their mouths, right? You can, you can think of it, you know, when you're uh, sometimes at a parade or something and the people are going by and you see something you really like and you're like, yeah, that's awesome, that's great. That's what's happening and it's just, it's just this building, 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 huge celebration. And it tells me this. When Jesus is proclaimed, people will come. Now, you know, we had, uh, many of you are so young, you won't remember this, but um, you know where I'm going, right? Field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come, right? It's a great movie, by the way, if you've never seen it, go check it out. It's a beautiful story. But there's this, this supernatural kind of event that's happening and the wisdom that's given to this guy about whether he should turn his cornfield into a baseball field is, if you build it, they will come. Now, I can say in most of life, that is not good advice. Um, planning is good. Forecasting is good. Um, it's something, that's, an, that's a concept we wrestle with as a church, believe it or not, right? Um, if we, if we built a bigger building, would more people come? I mean, and there are people that think that, right? Yeah. In, the, in your small group? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So, and it, and it, it has this sort of, um, it has a mystic sound to it. If you build it, they will come. But that, in almost all areas of life, that doesn't work. But this is what this tells us. Here are all of these people, and the works of Jesus have been made known. He has been made known. And when Jesus arrives, people show up. And I think that's a word for us as, as Christians and as a church. And, and sometimes we wonder, you know, oh, why aren't we growing faster than this? Or why don't I have the opportunity to share Christ with someone? Um, why doesn't God open up those doors for me? Well, maybe it's because you're not actually lifting up Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because we're really not making him prominent in what we are doing. And it, it's very easy, like I talked about earlier, it's very easy to get wrapped up in doing good things. And that's okay. Good things are good. In fact, the Bible says that God prepared for each one of us before even the foundation of the entire universe, he planned good works for us to do. So it's not that good works are bad. But if what we're lifting up is our good works, oh, look at how good I am. Look at what I did. Isn't this great? I'm so fantastic. That's not, that's not lifting up Christ. See, when we lift up Christ, we say, look, I do these good things because of this incredible thing that Christ has done in me. And that, that has the power to draw people. 
that has the, the power to communicate the message of the gospel. Um, another passage that says it uh, kind of like this, and I hope I got this one right. I, I can't blame anybody but me for the scripture error this morning. Nope, not the right one. <laughs> Man. You know what I did? I took my hand notes and I transferred them to the computer. Bad mistake. All right, I can't remember the, the quotation. Somebody will find it for me. Um, but uh, Jesus actually said these words, right? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So if we, if we want to grow the church, if we want to grow our relationships with other people in a spiritual sense, if we want to share the gospel, if we get this burden, and I hope that you would get this burden, that, that whatever God has done in your life, you want that to be extended and shared with other people, then the way to accomplish that is to do as Jesus said. He said, lift me up. Show me to people. Be the example to the world that I would be if I were standing in your place. We talk about that a lot here. Um, what would Jesus do if he were living my life as me? If he, if he were waking up in, in my house tomorrow morning, what would Jesus be doing? And then do that. Because that will show Jesus to those around you. And if Jesus is lifted up, he does the work of drawing people to himself. All right, so that's the first one. When Jesus is proclaimed, people will come. All right, so... Second one. I'm sorry? Thank you, John 12, 32. If I will be lifted up, I will draw all men to me, right? Oh, look, I even have it. I didn't mess that one up. <laughs> now, this is at the tail end of this story uh, in John chapter 9. In fact, it's the entire chapter of John uh, 12, this man who's, who's blind. And Jesus heals him. And then there's this big, I mean, there's this like ongoing conversation, like the guy's healed and then the Pharisees see him and it's a Sabbath day. So the Pharisees are like, hey, isn't that the guy that used to be blind? And some people are like, no, I don't think that Sam just looks like him. And then they, he says, no, that was me. I, I was really blind. And I'm like, I'm not sure we really believe you. How did you, how did you get to be able to see? And he said, well, I, I saw this guy uh, and he, he spit on the ground. He made some mud. He put it on my eyes and he told me to go down and wash in the river. And I did. And then I could see. And the Pharisees, the religious people are like, I don't think that's really how that happened. And even if, it, even if it did, that means this guy's not a good guy because he's working on the Sabbath. He healed you on the Sabbath, and that's a bad thing because you can't work on the Sabbath. And then some other Pharisees go, well, is that really true? Because if he was bad, could he actually heal somebody? And it, finally, it just goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, it's revealed that it is Jesus. And it adds to his notoriety. And then he says, you said 1232, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, I'm just going to abandon that over there altogether. All right, so John 12, 32. You can uh, write that down and find that later. All right, so back to John chapter 12, verse 14 and 16. So the first point is when Jesus is proclaimed, people will come. All right, the second one is, as we learn from this story, when he arrives, it may not look like anything that you imagine. But it will always look like something that he imagined. And it will always look like something that at, at, when you analyze it, you know that hindsight is twenty twenty thing? When he arrives, when he works, when he moves, when he shows up in your circumstance, at first you might go, whoa! But then on further reflection, you go, oh, right. That's exactly how he would have done this. And we see that in this story. See, people think, the people that are throwing these palm leaves down and they're shouting Hosanna and they're saying, man, he's the greatest, he's going to be our king. In fact, even at the end of it, the Pharisees say, look, even the, they're, they're being a little bit emotional. They say, the whole world's believing in him now. But these people are throwing these palm leaves down and they're shouting Hosanna and they're singing his praises and they're saying he's going to be our king, but they think he's going to be some sort of a political king. See, they, they think that he's going to be uh, helping them get free from the, the oppression that the Roman government has put upon them and restore the, the temple in Jerusalem and restore the promised land and bring them back together as a people and as a nation who will no longer be under the rule of someone else. And that's not at all what Jesus has come to do. And so the praises that they're shouting are based on, on false ideas, false images. And, and one of the ways we see that is that, you know, like if you think about the book of Revelation and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? It's one of the few places horses are actually mentioned in the Bible. And yet here's the king, the king of kings, fulfilling a prophecy that said he would do this. And he's not riding in on a, on a stallion. You know, he's not... He's not coming, well, his hair was probably, he probably had great hair. <laughs> so he's, but he's coming in on the back, not just a donkey, but like a baby donkey, right? It's a donkey's colt. I mean, it's a little thing. It's like being at the Golden Wheel amusement thing with the, those tiny little horses. But it's not even a horse. It's a donkey. And is that how a king makes his entrance? What well, is this king? Because this king is a king of no other type. He's like no king that's ever come before him, and he is like no king that will ever come behind. He is the king of kings. And he comes to be king of a different kind of kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And it is the kingdom where we as believers can live if we will be followers of Christ. When he arrives, it may not look like anything that you imagine, but it will always look like something that he imagined. Hunter, can you... Uh, actually, know what I know what to do. Hang on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 
see if this works. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. See, we can, we can try and imagine what God's going to do or what God is like or, or, or how he's going to respond to our circumstance or, or sometimes even that's the, that's the deal. We think God is absent from our circumstance, but it's because we're expecting him to do something we would do instead of asking him to do whatever he would do. But the Bible tells us that there are fantastic things both now and in the future, in eternity, that God is preparing and God is doing in the way God thinks and the way God behaves that we can't even imagine. So in the final point, the first one was when Jesus is proclaimed, people will come. The second was when he arrives, it may not look like anything that you or I imagined. But it will always be something that he has imagined. Something from his heart. And then last, chapter 12, uh, verse 17 and 18. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. All right, so I, I painted that picture for you about what this scene looks like, the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that are in the city, and here's all these people. Specifically now we're hearing that the people that are kind of in the middle of this whole event are those who had just not very long previous, just really a, a few weeks probably, had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They're there at the forefront of this celebration, and it says that they continued to tell people what happened. Hey, man, I saw this thing happen. You can't believe it. You can't believe what Jesus did. It's, it's going to blow your mind. You've never seen anything like this. And the crowd is building an excitement. They're celebrating. They're throwing down the palm leaves. They're, yeah, the king, yeah, he's our king. And guys, within hours, this same crowd, some of these same people will be standing in the court of Pilate calling for his crucifixion because he didn't turn out to be the king they thought he was going to be. And so that's the last point. Is where are you in the crowd? Where am I in the crowd? I sincerely, I deeply want to be in a position where I can share the gospel with other people. The good news of Jesus Christ. But if I'm not careful, I can fall prey to the same thing everybody else does and I start lifting myself up instead of lifting up Jesus. And when I do that, or when I lift up the church, and I, ooh, look at, look at the church. This is, this, and this, look, look, this is a great place. I love it here. Um, we've been in this location now for 15 going on 16 years. Many of you have been with us through that whole time. Some of you have been with us all the way back to 20 years ago when we really first started trying to figure this thing out. 
If I didn't like it after 20 years, I'm an idiot, right? Well, uh, don't let me, I was going to say, how many things have you done for 20 years that you hate? But boy, I could open a can of worms. Um, but you know what I mean? I love you. I love this church. And I tell people about this church. But I don't want to lift up this church in place of Jesus. I want to lift up Jesus. See, I tell people this church is great because of the work that Jesus has done in you and me. If I get the opportunity to share one-on-one some, with someone the story of Christ from the Bible and what he's done for us and what he tries to offer to us if we'll receive it, I don't want to lift up. I'm going to share my experience, but my experience is not Jesus. I want my experience to point to the one who is Jesus. And I'm afraid sometimes if we're not plugged into that, if that's not our mindset and we're wrapped up in the church or we're wrapped up in our story or we're wrapped up in our good works and all those other things, we'll be like, oh, yeah, Jesus, he's cool, he's cool, he's awesome, he's great. But when he doesn't turn out to be what we think he should be, we're going to be standing instead of on the side of the road shouting Hosanna. We're going to be numbered among those standing in front of Pilate saying, crucify him. So where are you in the crowd? We see in the final moments for Jesus as he's on the cross of all the people that followed him, even his closest friends, there's only one, there's only one who stands with him at the foot of the cross. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, his best friend, the guy who wrote the words that we've been reading this morning. And I don't think that means that in this room, if we were in the same scenario, there might only be one of us standing. But it does make me wonder how many of us, when push comes to shove, when the chips are down, when everything goes to hell in a handbasket, and things haven't turned out like we thought they were. Are we faithful enough? Do we love Jesus enough to stay with him and still sing his praises? And only you can answer that question for yourself. But it's a question I want you to wrestle with. And I can't give you a solution. It only comes from within you. And so you have to wrestle that out. I'm going to close with this video this morning. When Jesus is proclaimed, people will come. When he arrives, it may not look like anything that you imagined, but it will always look like something that he imagined. And we must all wrestle with where we are in the crowd.
Would you stand for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. And may he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, I pray that this next week as we prepare to celebrate the joy of the resurrection, Lord, and the life that it offers to us because of your life, your sacrifice, your resurrection, Lord, that we would be mindful, that you would bring to our minds, Lord, that you would, you would poke us in our spirit. Lord, reveal any ways in which we are lifting up anything other than you. Lord, where we are expecting things that are our designs and not your designs, your plans. And Lord, convict us, teach us, move us, if we are indeed people who are in danger of praising you today and cursing you tomorrow that instead our hearts would be filled with your spirit and our lips filled with Hosanna. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat.